You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John this morning. We've been making our way through the book of 1 John uh, now for probably a month and a half, and it's been a beautiful journey. This, This book really stirring the believers to fresh devotion to the Lord. This is late in John's life, and he's seen the devotion in the church wane, and so this is his stirring letter uh, trying to rouse the church back to devotion and fresh love for the Lord. And it has been uh, stirring my heart. I pray it has been stirring your heart as well. The Lord is giving us an invitation. You know, he's stirring us, not through condemnation, but an invitation. He's saying, come, look at how beautiful I truly am and my ways are, truly are, come. And, um, and this morning I, I wanna share, I'm, uh, the title of my message, if you're taking notes, you, you can title it Competing Loves. Competing Loves. The Lord will have um, nothing in competition for our love for him. And the analogy throughout scripture is like the picture of a husband and a wife, that covenant devotion in marriage. That's the biblical illustration for, that we're given of the church's relationship to Jesus. It's singular covenant devotion and faithfulness. Uh, I remember hearing a story uh, about Billy Graham in his dating days with his later on wife, Ruth. Um, and there was word on campus that his wife had, or sorry, his girlfriend, Ruth, had gone on what would be considered a date with another guy, and they had gone out for coffee or something like that, and uh, he had caught wind of it, and so he had to have a heart-to-heart with Ruth, and he had a frank conversation with her. He said, Ruth, you have two options. Either you can, you can date me, or you can date every other guy except me. There's not going to be any sharing, and he laid that out for her. Obviously, the rest is history. They ended up getting married, and there, there comes a point in a relationship where you have to decide, are you gonna actually devote your life to this person or not? So it is with Christ. Are we gonna devote our hearts singularly for him? Or are we gonna constantly be chasing other things? You can keep your finger in 1 John. Turn to the, or look at the screen. I have this up on the screen. James chapter four, the apostle James tells us, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We cannot have two masters. We cannot have split love. We cannot have competing loves. And so this morning, my aim is to do two things. It's to reveal the tactic of the enemy in our age. And it's been like this for the last 2,000 years to reveal the tactics of the enemy, the strategies of the enemy, to lure God's people away from first love to to Jesus, to other things. And secondly, give us very um, practical ways to be overcomers, to overcome those temptations of the enemy, the tactics of the enemy. Um, You can see the, the, the Lord this morning through his word equipping his church with the the tactics and the strategies of the enemy. Like, nothing is hidden for us as the people of God. We are children of the light. So the tactics of the enemy are gonna be revealed to us this morning. It's like us getting a a look at the playbook of the enemy. 
So, so perk up, like take note. The Lord is giving you a glimpse at the playbook of the enemy. Last night, it looked like Iowa State had a, a, a view of the enemy's playbook. They had four interceptions. I didn't get to watch the game, but they trounced TC. It was awesome. In sports, if you know what the other team is going to do, it's obvious you're going to have the upper hand. You are gonna, you're going to be able to win. So, so it is for us as believers. God has given us the playbook of the enemy. He's, he's allowed us to cheat. He's allowed us to see what the enemy is going to do. So we, we shouldn't be caught off guard. Um, there was a team, a baseball team, a few years ago that caught, got caught cheating. Jeremiah would maybe know. Yeah, the Astros. What year was that? The Astros, Nick, Nick Bement would know. Where's Nick? Oh, there he is. What year? 2018? Yeah, 2018, something like that. Nick Bement is the, the baseball trivia guy, so... They got caught cheating. They were stealing the signs that the catcher was giving the pitcher. They were stealing. You can, you can watch videos online of how they did it. It was pretty wild, but they cheated. And so obviously they won. And they got, man, they just, they have not lived that down uh, still to this day, five years later. They, every stadium they go to, people arouse them for it because they've, even though the entire team has mostly changed over by now, they still get uh, aroused for it because they cheated. They, st- they saw the signs, they saw the playbook, they saw what the, what the enemy was going to do, and it gave them the upper hand. We have the upper hand. God, this morning, is going to equip us with the strategy, with the playbook, with the tactics of the enemy. And the language John gives it is the, the spirit of the Antichrist, or the Antichrist, which maybe sounds really ethereal or spooky or something. Uh, that's the language. It's this, this force that's opposed to Christ, Antichrist. And later he calls it the spirit of the Antichrist. I call it the spirit of the age. There is this, this uh, spirit of our age that's opposed to Christ. And the main tactic of the spirit of our age is to lure us away from singular love for Jesus. To be drawn to other things. And we'll see that this morning. So get ready. Let's, let's pray before we read the Lord's word. Lord, I just, I just feel like there is a, um, a grace upon us this morning to receive fresh encouragement from you. Encouragement, the edifying of your body. That's what I was feeling during worship is the Lord wants to edify his body this morning. He wants to encourage his body. He wants to pour courage into us this morning. So Lord, I, we receive that grace right now. There are some that have been distracted, they've been lured to other things, you're gonna wake us up. You're gonna draw us back. You're gonna give us an invitation gently to be drawn back to you, to single devotion to you, to throw aside any other competing loves. Pray you'd have your way in our hearts. Build up your church in your precious name, amen. Let's look at verse 15, it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're going to keep on reading, but we're going to stop there for a moment. Do not love the world or the things of this world. 
Why? This is elderly John in his apostolic wisdom speaking this to the church, to believers. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. Don't allow your heart and your affection to be more drawn and stirred by the things of this world. Do not love the world. He says if, if anyone loves the world, if our heart's affection is being drawn towards the things of this world, in this age, and the love of the Father is not in him. I remember serving as a chaplain in a detention center in Seattle, Washington, when me and my wife lived out there, just volunteering, and I read this very passage to a young lady in the detention center, and, and she asked, I think, a great question. How, how is it that we're not supposed to love the world? I thought scripture said that God so loved the world. That's what we were just talking about in the nations. God loves the world. So here it's saying we're not supposed to love the world, what is it? And, and we talk through those dynamics. Really what John is saying here is don't love the societal systems of, of our age. Don't love this, um, don't love the age in its materialistic, uh, secular systems. Don't be drawn to those things. Don't love, obviously the Lord loves and he's calls us to love the world in terms of the people and the things that he's created by his hand that reflect his glory. But we should not love the world systems and our hearts should not be drawn to the world systems, stirred by the things of the world. But he says the, the love of the Father is not in, in, in that one. It's so interesting to read 1 John and to read the Gospel of John simultaneously because the Gospel of John uses so much of the same language. So this is gonna be on the screen, look at this. This is the Gospel of John, describing what Jesus said. He said, as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so have I loved you, abide in my love. So we receive love from the Father through Jesus. That's why, that's why if we have the love for the world, the love of the Father's not in us, because we're not in this sort of communion with Jesus through whom we receive the love of the Father. We have this love from the Father that's received through the revelation of Jesus. That's our only hope is the revelation of Jesus. It's the re revelation of the person of Jesus. And that's how we abide in the love of the fathers, through that communion, that relationship with Jesus himself. Verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this submission to his, uh, his commandments is a submission to his ways. The ways of this world are not going to rule supreme. The ways and the systems of this world are not going to be the thing that, that drive us and dictate us, but rather we're gonna be submitted to the ways of our king who has our heart. And so if there's, there's one summary of the entire morning, I'm gonna throw out a lot from scripture this morning, but if there's one summary, it's this, that if the world has our heart, you can know that the Father does not. If the world has our hearts, if the world has captured our hearts, then you can guarantee that the Father has not captured our hearts. He's, he does not have my heart currently if, if I'm lured and captured by all these things in this world. And I believe here in 1 John, just the portion we've read so far, that there are kind of three heart strings that the enemy likes to pull on to draw our hearts away from King Jesus and out of step with the love of the Father. 
And in verse 16, he describes them as the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes or the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are three heartstrings that the enemy loves. So again, I'm, I'm laying out the playbook here. Okay, so none of you can be ignorant now. None of you can be uh, caught off guard by the tactics of the enemy. We will all leave this place this morning like with eyes wide open, picking up on the ways of the enemy. And three of his, the heartstrings he likes to pull on from our old man is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is this lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is this, this desire for the physical over the spiritual, the here and now and the temporal over the eternal. Is that not our age? Is that not the spirit of the age? It's exalt the temporary over the eternal. Exalt what you get now over what may come in eternity, uh, the, the eternity to come. And so if you think of our age, it's an age of gluttony, it's an age of greed, it's an age of lust. Because all of those things say you need more. It's feed your appetites now. Feed them. You know, just continue to feed them. Feed those appetites without restraint. Do not hold back. It says you cannot have control over those appetites, so just feed them, feed them, feed them. And if you think of those just few appetites, gluttony, greed, lust, in their core form of appetite, they're actually not bad. You think of, of gluttony, we, ought, we have to eat. The Lord is not opposed to you eating. We should eat, we need to eat. We, we have to eat to sustain us. But, but gluttony takes it beyond that where all of a sudden our stomach is our Lord and it's constantly unsatisfied and we're, 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 we're so drawn to these pl temporary pleasures and, and um, fading, fleeting satisfactions. Or you think about greed. Greed is uh, attached to money. Money is not bad. Actually, the Apostle Paul to Timothy says that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, all sorts of evils. We have to, we have to learn how to handle money. We have to, it's, it's part of our pilgrimage through this world, is figuring out how to steward the resources that come our way. So money inherently is not evil, but the spirit of the age says you have to have more. Look out for yourself. Build up a, a kingdom for yourself. Build up a, a nest egg to take care of yourself. It's that orphan spirit, that spirit of poverty that says you must have more. That's at the heart of greed, and that's, the desires of the flesh, or you think of lust. Obviously, sex is not bad. God created sex in the confines of covenant marriage and in, in, in a covenant committed relationship between a man and a woman. Like, that's what God created it for. But the desires of the flesh says you have to have more, and you have to have it in a way that just suits your desires, that serves just you. It's, it's selfish. It twists the ways of the Lord to serve yourself, and it's an appetite that will never be fully satisfied when it's selfish. It's the desires of the flesh. The desire for the temporal over the eternal. That's the first heartstring. The second is the desires of the eyes. And if there's anything that should get our attention this morning, I would believe it's this heartstring. It's the desire of the eyes or the lust of the eyes in a generation that is flooded with imagery, flooded with screens all around us. This is a tactic of the enemy right now to lure a generation away from singular devotion to Jesus, to all these flashy things, to, to, 
to worship the idol of entertainment, to constantly need something stimulating, something to capture our attention. This is not another message on attention span, okay, because we've talked about that before, but the Lord has created us to look at him. He's he's lifted the veil from our eyes, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Eyes, I mean, our, our veil, the veil has been lifted from our eyes so we can look upon the Lord, behold the Lord. Unveiled eyes from glory to glory. But the enemy, he, the enemy knows that. And he loves to lure us away in other, thing, in other ways by placing other things before our eyes constantly. And in our age, I'm telling you, God is getting our attention. He's telling us to take mastery over what we put before our eyes. Remember that old song, be careful of the lies, what you see. In this age where the algorithms dictate what we look at, I'm telling you as believers, we need to take control of what's going before our eyes. Stop allowing the spirit of the age. I'm not saying the algorithms are always evil and um, absolutely evil to the core, some conspiracy of sorts. But we'll see actually in a little bit how the, Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist works in a, uh, through agents that are un- unknowingly to themselves. They don't even know they're being used, but the, the spirit of the Antichrist works through these people. And so through these algorithms, we're just being fed constant stimulation that p- pulls our hearts away from singular love for the Lord. So I, I would just say we need to wake up. I keep telling my own kids that you know, with all these video shorts these days, not only is it horrible for our attention span, but within three or four videos on these shorts, we're off in some field, off, off, off over here, <laughs> but way away from where we started. So it may, not all these videos are bad. I mean, a lot of times they're, they're, there's, there's interesting things, there's educational things. But after three or four iterations of shorts, you're off in the right field and somebody else is dictating what you, need, what you should be looking at rather than as a child of God having the spirit of self-control. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. Having the spirit of self-control to say, I, I know where I am and who I am. I'm not gonna allow my, my, my thoughts and my mind to be dictated by the spirit of the age. I'll get off that now. So, okay, the third, third heartstring is the pride of life. The pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is, you could think of the pride of life as being this boastful, uh, boastfulness that's constantly talking. We're ta- we're, the talking uh, is greater than the doing. The, the talking is greater than any sort of substance that comes from the person's life. The Greek word is actually alzonia. So you can write that down. You can be, walk out of here, impress your friends. The Greek word is alzonia. And it's really interesting, in ancient Greece, they actually have this story with this character named Alazon, based on this Greek word alazonia. And alazon, you can just picture this caricature of boastfulness. They tell this story about alazon being in the harbor, talking to his friends about all the ships that he has out at sea of which he has very few. He just loves to boast. He loves to impress people. He loves to tell stories about how awesome he is. He's that, he's that friend of yours that loves to name drop about the famous people he knows and the letters that he received from the famous people. He's, he's, Alazon is the friend who doesn't own his home, his current home. 
Like he's either renting or he owes money on it. But he's always boasting about the next house that he's going to be building that's bigger and better so he can entertain more people. Anytime Aldazone earns money, he makes sure messengers get down to the bank to make sure that everyone knows about his net worth. This is Aldazone. It's this caricature, over-the-top caricature of the boasting, talkative, prideful, arrogant self that has to impress other people, that has to live for other people, and it's, it's exhausting. It's definitely a heartstring of the enemy, especially in this social media age where constantly social media is telling you, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? Tell everybody what you're eating for breakfast. What, you know, what's on your mind today? What, what are your comments regarding these things? Like, like our voice matters more than it does than actually the substance of our life meaning something. This is not just an anti-technology message this morning. It just happens to be the um, kind of the, the way currently, like the tool of the enemy right now that, that, that's, that's happening, that the enemy is using. But that's the pride of life. You can kind of picture that caricature of that guy named Alizone. That is the pride of life, the, bo- the, the perpetual boasting of self to impress other people. So verse 17, he gets to the crux of it, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what's at stake. Like all this stuff we're drawn to, that our hearts are drawn to, it will fade. It will be burned up. It will not matter. But we are given an invitation to give ourselves to that which is precious. This gold refined in the fire something precious, something valuable, something that will last for eternity. And it's this covenant love relationship with our King Jesus. Let's keep reading, because now we're gonna get to our strategy to respond to the tactics of the enemy. That's what's gonna, that's what's gonna come here. You guys tracking this morning? Okay. Uh, verse 18, it says this, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We have to know what time it is. And scripture tells us it's the last hour. That's that's why we have to wake up. We have to wake up. It is the last hour. It's been the last hour for the last 2,000 years. This is the 11th hour. This is that hour where Christ can return. He can come back for a people. No, this this is not in regards to predictions. This is not saying the Lord is going to come uh, on a certain day that we can predict. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying this, this moment in redemptive history is called the last hour. It's this hour of urgent expectation, anticipation for our King Messiah. And actually, the, uh, what, what John is saying here is because of the, the spirit of the Antichrist that's moving across the earth, our senses should actually be perked all the more to say, this is the last hour. We look around, we see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We should say, this is the last hour. The, the Antichrist, or later as he calls it, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work, therefore it is the last hour. We have to know what time it is. We can't be caught sleeping. Remember all summer long, we looked at Matthew 22 in the parable uh, of the, the wedding feast. In this parable of the, the wedding party, that's us, awaiting the bridegroom. Some were not ready. They, they, they assumed he wouldn't return. He'd be slow in coming back. And they were caught off guard. We need to be ready. We need to be aware of the fact that it's the last hour. 
Amen? Verse 19, it says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So the enemy is using people. In the book of Revelation, John actually talks about a capital A antichrist who will be a figure, like a central figure opposed to Christ. But what he's referring to here are these people that become agents opposed to Christ. And I would say some very explicitly, like they are satanically uh, opposed to Christ, vocally, verbally, out loud, externally, they say it boldly. But I would say many of these antichrists are used in opposition to Christ unbeknownst to themselves. These are ones that stir those very heartstrings of desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Even people that claim the name of Christ, I believe, are used by the spirit of the Antichrist to create division in the church, to lure us away to a false gospel that that is more about entertainment and production and and celebrity Christianity as opposed to the, the, the sufficiency of Christ and Christ is central to the church. That's why he says some of them were actually in our fold. They've gone out from us now. They've departed from the faith. But they were ones that you would know. And he called them antichrist, people opposed to Christ. People who had fallen into those, um, being actually tempters with those very heartstrings. Verse 20, it says this, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. So here are two strategies I want to just uh, unveil to us. We have been anointed by the Holy One. That is the first strategy in combating the tactics of the enemy. Okay, we already saw his playbook. We already saw what he's gonna do. You saw what's coming next. He's gonna pull on the heartstrings of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And tactic number one for us to be ready in this last hour is to live in fellowship with this anointing that we have from the Holy Spirit himself. The anointing of the Holy One upon our lives. God has not left us alone. He's not left us as orphans, Jesus said. But we have been given a helper. And this helper is very relevant for our daily life. As you think of God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, Holy Spirit has to be part of our daily life if we're gonna make it in this Christian life. Holy Spirit is the practical person of God in our midst. That's how we fellowship with God, is through Holy Spirit. As you look through the stories of the Old Testament, you see Holy Spirit coming and anointing people, resting on people. We live in an age where Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. People have that like the, the amazing signs and wonders of these, these, uh, the Old Testament age has now been made available to all believers, all who claim the name of Jesus, all who place their faith in the sufficiency of Christ as the only way to the Father, now have Holy Spirit coming and resting on them. That comes through acknowledgement, otherwise John wouldn't be telling them this. We have to acknowledge his presence in our lives And we need to invite greater and greater fellowship with him. Intimacy, fellowship, friendship with Holy Spirit on a daily basis if you want to overcome the tactics of the enemy. He's not left you 
to grapple with the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life on your own. He's given you Holy Spirit. He's given you a helper. The, the anointing of the Holy One. In the Old Testament, anointing was signified through oil being poured out. When Samuel came to David, the oil was poured out upon David. That's that, the picture here, is us being anointed by Holy One, by the Holy One, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is dripping on us. It's relevant for our lives to equip us to overcome the tactics of the enemy. The second strategy I see here in verse 20, he says, and you all have knowledge. You all have knowledge. All of us have knowledge. He's actually calling out specific heresies and errors amongst the believers that were saying there was some other secret, super secret, special knowledge that people needed to access outside of Christ. And he's saying, you have knowledge. It's the knowledge that you have through the person of Jesus. That knowledge is a very specific knowledge. It's knowledge that comes through seeing, like a witness. You're, you're just testifying to what you've seen. And the essence of the Christian life is looking upon Christ, being transformed from glory to glory, and we live from that knowledge, the knowledge of looking at Christ, looking at him as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the type of knowledge he's talking about. So we all have that knowledge and we're equipped with that. We're equipped with that knowledge to combat the desires of the flesh that would say you need to feed these appetites. No. I don't, I'm gonna listen to the words of King David in Psalm 27, and I wanna gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I wanna gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That one thing I want. You know, if you think about David's life, when he was idle and purposeless, he got into trouble. That's when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. And he let the, the, the lust of his eyes get the, the better of him when he was purposeful and intentional, when he, when he declared about, he declared this knowledge that I'm talking about, he, that's when he wrote Psalm 27. This one thing I desire, this one thing I long for, it's to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. That's the sort of knowledge that John is calling out here. It's the knowledge of looking at Christ and his sufficiency and allowing that to satisfy your soul, allowing that to be the, the only thing that, that soothes the, those appetites at their core. So he continues on. There's, there's one more strategy I want us to pick up here, a third strategy. I'm gonna invite uh, Dr. Jancy to come forward to the, the keys. I write to you in verse 21, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. He's referring again to that knowledge. The knowledge is the sufficiency of Christ. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, either explicitly or through the, their, their devices that lure us away from the Father and the Son. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son is the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. That's the third strategy. 
going back to that original uh, first love story that drew you to Christ. Go back to where you started. Return back to your first love. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Go back to where you started. It's not starting all over, but it's, it's returning back to that childlike love for King Jesus. The original message that drew you to, to Christ, go back to that message. When you're being pulled away to reconsider everything, to, to, um, to other lesser loves, to competing loves, go back to that beginning message that you heard. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. We will abide eternally if we cling to that promise. And the promise that comes from first love, devotion to the Lord. It's returning back to that message that we heard from the very beginning. It's as easy as that. It's that first love, devotion. That's why I'm calling this conference that we host in March like a Hallmark, mess, uh, Hallmark conference. It's not like the Hallmark channel. It's, uh, Hallmark is like a mark of genuineness. It's, it's a mark of authenticity. That's what a Hallmark is. And so this conference is that recalibration moment for us as a church that we'll be hosting every year. It's this call back to us to first love. And if the church gets that right, we'll get so much of the rest of the stuff right. Some have asked, if, asked us if we're gonna do a marriage conference. I'm telling you, Jesus worthy is our marriage conference. Because if you're having marriage difficulties, get on your face before the Lord. Fall in love with Jesus. Then you'll be able to love your spouse like Christ loved the church. Jesus worthy is our parenting conference. If you wanna know how to be a better parent, encounter the love of the Father in the beauty of Jesus. Encounter his presence and you'll be equipped. I'm not saying there's not a place for practical equipping, there is. In fact, Pastor Riley in mid-November is hosting a night for parents to come and receive equipping and ministry for parenting, specifically the mysteries of teenagers, but um, there's a place for that. But the real answer, and oftentimes I feel like we want to, we want to skip the heart of issues to go to the practical how-tos because it gives us an escape. It gives us, it gives us something else that maybe can suit our fancies for a little bit, but we always know those are just Band-Aids. They never really deal with the core heart issue of singular devotion to the Lord. So Jesus is worthy. This conference is it's our worship conference because I'm telling you the church needs a whole lot less production and even excellence in music, and we need a whole lot more people who know how to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Jesus is worthy is our, our prophetic conference because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all those things. That's why it's a, I'm calling a Hallmark conference for our church. It's, it's not that we won't do other conferences, but, but it's, if we don't get that right, the core issue, I don't think we can get any of those other things right either. I want us to respond to the Lord. Can you all stand in this place? I believe John here was, was giving us, and I think I've said this in other weeks as we've made our, our way through 1 John. John is giving us like this fatherly correction, which we should 
gladly receive. We should humbly receive. It's not a, it's not a hitting upside the head. It's a correction as a father would bring out of loving concern for us. Actually, just this week, I had a conversation with one of my kids who will remain nameless who was needing correction. And as this, as this uh, child was like dealing with the discomfort of being corrected, she was going down this road of being like, I don't understand why do you don't just let me do whatever I want. I don't know why everyone hates me. I, I just want to run away to an orphanage. These were the things she was saying. And she said it again. I, I, I just wish you could, you'd let me do whatever I want. But that's not love. It's not love. And it, this is the, the love of the Lord revealed through the Apostle John for us to correct us back to really what matters in its heart's in love with Jesus, not in love with the world or the things of the world, with our heartstrings not being pulled for those things, but being pulled to the Lord alone. This is a fatherly correction this morning. Let's respond to the Lord. Close your eyes across this place. Lord, we thank you for your correction. Thank you for drawing us back to yourself as you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you just tell the Lord thank you? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the invitation that comes from fatherly correction. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is this beautiful invitation for us to come back to our first love, to us for us to return for us to actually set aside all competing loves. To say, we want none but you, King Jesus. We want none but you. We want you. Would you just surrender yourself to the Lord this morning afresh? if you feel like your heart has been pulled towards the things of this world. Surrender your heart to the Lord. I, I, I turn from those things, Lord. I repent. I turn from I love for other things. I want you. I want my love to be solely devoted to you, King Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.